Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. I'm very excited to meet and get to know my guest for this week's podcast and blog. Uh, Jonathan Lowy is the president and founder of Global Action on Gun Violence, a nonprofit working with international the international community to stop gun trafficking and violence through litigation, human rights, and other strategies. John has been litigating and advocating against gun violence for over 25 years. He's helped to win over $100 million for victims in verdicts and settlements, created precedents that holds gun companies accountable, reformed dangerous gun industry practices. His articles include The Right Not to Be Shot, uh, count me in, uh, please, uh, he has been named one of the 500 leading lawyers in America for over 10 years by Law Dragon magazine. And, and Jonathan, I, I reached out to you um, because I saw my former cult, the Moonies, escalating. They have a gun factory in Pennsylvania associated with car arms. And the, that's Justin Moon. And Sean Moon has the Rod of Iron Ministry where he claims there's a line in Revelation from the Bible saying that it means an AR-15, which his brother happens to make. And now he's a rapper. <laughs> now he's trying to recruit. And they have two compounds where they're hired veterans to train people how to use AR-15s. And I fear that this is a prelude to civil warfare um, in the streets, a la dictatorship and authoritarianism. So I reached out to my friend, John Hudson. I said, do you know anyone I can interview about gun violence? And he introduced me to you. And I am so grateful. So I'm so tired, Jonathan, of watching TV about another gun mass shooting, another mass shooting. What are we going to do? And, and blockage with politicians who I believe are in the cult of the NRA, which I actually wrote about in the cult of Trump. And please use this opportunity to educate us on your expertise of 25 years. What do we do, Jonathan? Sure. So first, Stephen, I mean, thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, there's a lot to talk about, obviously. I mean, gun violence is one of the leading causes of death. And beyond that, um, guns, you know, fuel drug trafficking, fuel uh, violence across the border to Mexico, to the Caribbean, causing migration issues that the U.S. has to deal with. Um, so, you know, the effects of gun violence, particularly from the U.S., are global and really massive. It really is one of the major public safety, uh, security, and human rights crises around the world. Uh, and that's largely attributable to U.S. gun policy and reckless gun industry practices that are enabled by those those weak Great laws. summary. And I, if I may just interject, uh, I believe Putin, 
she and other enemies of the United States love to tell their people, look at the Americans. They're allowing people to go into schools to kill children. We keep you safe. So you can't own guns in China or in Russia. You get arrested. But the American public seems to be ignorant to the fact that there are enemies of the U.S. that are encouraging this. Yeah, that's a really important point um, because, you know, when countries with horrific human rights records attack the U.S. on gun policy, um, what's particularly dangerous about that is what they say is often true. I mean, they are correct that that uh, the U.S. gun laws are, you know, totally unlike most of the rest of the world and that no other country tolerates the repeated mass shootings of its citizens the way the United States does. Now, that's not an excuse for Vladimir Putin or for China or for other countries. But when those countries can accurately attack the U.S. for its human rights problems, it, it mutes the voice of, yeah. of the United States and it makes the United States you know, less of an uh, international uh, spokesperson for good around the world. So it's really uh, critical that the U.S. address its gun violence problem regulate guns the way the rest of the world does in order that the U.S. can have the voice and the influence that it should have to do good on human rights and other issues around the world. Yeah, exactly. And if I, I, I don't know if my listeners have been following all of my social media and such, but I wrote about the family cult that Jeff Charlotte wrote two books about and did a Netflix series Uh, This is a group that's been around for 50-plus years, and they do a national prayer breakfast. And we know for a fact that uh, Marina Butina, an agent from Russia, infiltrated, brought a whole slew of Russians, and she was very active in uh, probably funding the NRA. I don't know that for a fact, but certainly... You're just ramping people up. They're trying to take our guns. They're trying to take our guns. And now she's a parliamentarian in in Russia supporting this this genocide in Ukraine. Anyway, I just wanted to pop that in that we know for a fact that they infiltrated our system with agents to push this agenda. Yeah, and, and, and that sort of fear-mongering rhetoric about you know they're coming after your guns, and more than that, if the, if you register your guns, the government will knock on your door and seize your guns. You know that sort of rhetoric. It drives gun sales, it drives assault weapon sales, but it's extremely dangerous. And and also what it does, and this may have some resemblance to to some of your uh, you know writings on, on how cults operate. It prevents gun owners from really acting on what they really believe deep down, which most of them believe deep down there should be sensible laws. They, they don't want to see criminals get guns. They don't want to see their children or others 
uh, injured or killed with guns. And, and if you sit down and talk to them, they will agree with with most of the policies that that I and, and others in the gun violence prevention community favor. But then when they're this fear is directed at them, uh, they, they sort of their mind goes to that, and and the, the sort of critical reasoning vanishes, and that's really why we have the gun politics that we have today. <laughs> that, that you have where you have uh, representatives, senators, and 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 Congress people who can get away with rejecting the will of over 90% of Americans who want mm-hmm. stronger gun laws mm-hmm. and they can get away with you know tolerating this you know repeated massacres of right. people in the US which um, of course most people want to do something about it the way other countries you know have done very quickly yeah and i just want to state categorically if you're if you were raised in a family that likes to shoot deer, you don't need an assault rifle that shoots hundreds of rounds of bullets. You don't need these huge things. And for me, it seems from my research, it just seems like it's the people who are being stoked up that we're in Armageddon, that you know uh, that we're going to be in civil war. The Alex Joneses. Um, I'm going to eat my neighbor before I let my family starve. I'm going to carve them up into little pieces. I mean, I heard him say that. And it's that kind of level of fear that people are have 19 million assault rifles. Why? Yeah, I mean, the why is because it's big business, you know, for the industry. And the industry, along with the NRA and other groups in the gun lobby, you know, gin up this fear, and it drives sales for the manufacturers. And at the same time, it keeps politicians at bay and prevents them from doing what they should do, such as uh, ban assault weapons and require universal background checks. And that's what, you know, to me, um, it it highlights the need for uh, what we call my organization Global Action on Gun Violence, an outside game approach that basically, you know, the the political process in the U.S., uh, hopefully one day, hopefully one day soon, uh, it will uh, reasonably regulate guns. And there's certainly positive signs to suggest that that day is coming. But don't hold your breath. Don't rely on that. Uh, I've been working towards that for uh, over 25 years, and most of congressional action has been backwards to make things worse more than to make things better, as gun violence has only increased, mass shootings have increased. Uh, so, you know, that's why we uh, focus on this sort of outside game approach using litigation in the courts, does not rely on Congress, working with countries outside of the U.S. that are not constrained uh, by the U.S. You know, political, uh, you know, I can talk loosely and call it gun cult. Yeah, um, and I'd and, say and, corruption yeah. by, by big business that are buying off politicians and not listening to the will of the people. Exactly. I mean, I would call it, a, it's a sort of institutional corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, th that uh, leads to politicians uh, and others, in, even in enforcement, not doing what they should be doing, which is cracking down on the gun industry's supply of the crime gun market, you know, by instituting, you know, reasonable laws, you know, where we see New Zealand and even Serbia, Australia, countries react to mass shootings in a question of days. That is the ordinary human response when you see one incident of your people being massacred. And we have a situation in the U.S. where we've had well over 25 years of, of much worse massacres and increasing in, in frequency and in uh, numbers. And the massacres aren't even the biggest part of the problem. I mean, mm -hmm. most of the gun deaths, and they're nearing uh, 50,000 a year now in the U.S., most of them are not in mass shootings. Mm -hmm. And so it is a, a form of institutional uh, corruption. Uh, maybe it doesn't take bribes, but it, maybe it's as a result of uh, political influence of, of the gun lobby, but it has the same effect of, of people not doing their job and not putting the interests of the uh, American people uh, as a priority. Yeah, wasn't uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia, didn't he die on a gun shooting trip? He didn't die on it. He, he was involved in a mishap on a gun shooting trip I where, where his shooting, his, his friend was shot uh, you know, accidentally. I see. Um, but uh, yeah, he certainly had a personal uh, affinity for guns. Yeah, I missed that. So just for our listeners, I believe you mentioned Australia, New Zealand, and Serbia. Uh, I believe it, Australia and New Zealand both did a buyback of guns and, and collected guns, or am I misremembering what they, actions they took uh, to deal with this problem? Well, Australia uh, did a, a buyback. Um, Serbia... Uh, did a something similar, in, and this is just in response to the recent um, mass shooting there, where gun owners voluntarily, you know, surrendered their guns for the public good. Wow! It, it, and, and so, you know, most people, and I, I think, including you know, people in the United States. In their heart, they do have a you know a civic concern. They do care about uh, you know their fellow Americans more. If you can get to that place, if mm -hmm. you can get away from the fear mongering and the sort of uh, you know worship of the of the gun that we've seen propagated, and politicians drive that as well. You know, I mean, I think it's you know people laugh off these. Uh, you know, holiday cards that we've seen of, of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lawrence and, Bulbert, and a few others yeah, with many their, of them with this posing with their, yeah, you know, their assault rifles, but it's really, it's very serious. I mean, you know, this is, these are cards, Christmas cards for uh, where people who uh, believe this to be one of their most sacred holidays and they choose to, 
show, you know, what is most important to them for this holiday, which is their AR-15. Um, you know, that is, uh, you know, a form of, of worship of the, of the gun. It's certainly elevating this to this almost religious level. And if we have political leaders doing that, you know, that's going to sort of sanction it for, uh, their constituents. Yeah, exactly. So Jonathan, um, what needs to be done? Like, what are some of the action steps? Uh, I have listeners around the world. Um, and what can we really concentrate on doing that's within our power? Well, I mean, if you're in the United States, I mean, certainly uh, becoming active and knowledgeable on this issue and, and uh, to push your representatives to, to vote uh, the right way. And really the important aspect of that is uh, to elevate the gun issue in importance. Um, and so when it comes to issues like banning assault weapons, requiring background checks for all gun sales and, and other policies, the problem historically has been not that uh, there hasn't been public support for those policies, because there has been and there continues to be, but people on our side have not elevated the importance of those issues. It's a lower tier, you know, support while you've got the people who worship the, the AR-15, for them, it is the number one issue. Mm. So people really need to intensify and, and uh, you know, make clear that this is one of the most important issues and, and, and drive that um, message to their you know, political leaders. But then, you know, beyond that, again, I think an outside game approach is really important. And, and I welcome uh, people to come to our website, which is actiononguns.org. And you can find out more about global action on gun violence. You can find ways to support us financially or, or other ways and, and learn about our strategies. And, and certainly we have an international uh, strategy. We've got partners around the world and, you know, would welcome more partners and more support supporters from around the world, you know, because for most of the world, they may be affected by U.S. gun policies, but they don't have a vote right. in U.S. gun policies. Right. So really the only way to do it is to, to get involved with organizations uh, like Global Action Gun Violence, um, you know, to see what they can do to become active. And there are a number of ways. Um, we're active in the United Nations, in the Organization of American States, um, and in other countries, in the human rights realm, litigation, uh, also policy advocacy. And there are ways that people can get involved to help in those efforts. Yeah, so I want to say that I didn't know you existed until just a few weeks ago. And so I'm really, when as soon as I learned about your incredible organization and work, I wanted to publicize it to my listeners. And I want to emphasize, just listening to you, we need to up it on our on our priority list. And I'll I know that there are young people like the Parkland uh, survivors who are 
protesting and picketing and 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 such, but getting a lot of young people doing social media, doing memes, um, really making it uncool to to with guns, like just me sissies. You know, you need a gun to be a man, really, or you need you think that this is attractive? Nah, I don't think so. I think we really need to get more citizens involved um, and, and have a grassroots, uh, greater grassroots effort. And I would add one last thing, educating media people, like really like doing training forums for media people, how to message on this. Because honestly, I'm so distressed at the media's ignorance of other than more inflammatory you know, point finger pointing versus like really um, practical things that need to get focused on. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's certainly a lot of examples of that. And um, one that always strikes me is after a mass shooting, the lead story in the media is always, why did he do it? What was his motive? And I, I'm always just puzzled about that i mean sort of who cares really i mean that as a as a as a general problem facing america that sort of suggests and maybe i shouldn't have said who cares but the, the, the what i'm getting at is you know there are people who will do horrific things for reasons that are some cases difficult to decipher in some cases not they're born by hate or or other issues that drive them to violence and to but to suggest that if we could only find out why this individual acted you know we would be closer to to stopping it that is is just silly i mean there are people like that all around the globe the United States does not have a monopoly on people like that. The, the, the story is, how did this happen? And the reason that the mass shooting happened is because in the United States, people with those problems have easy access to guns, and not just any gun, but to weapons of war that enable them to commit military-style assaults on public places with ordinary people. And they can do that repeatedly um and and the politicians will not uh stop them that's the why the the, the mo it, it should be looking at the motives of the senators and representatives and supreme court justices who 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 uh you know facilitate these shootings i'm more, much more concerned about their motives uh th than the motive of the shooter. Fantastic point. If I may add my expertise to this um, frame. So um, in social psychology, Jonathan, uh, the single most important principle is called the fundamental attribution error. And what it says is when people are trying to understand other people's behaviors, they have an unconscious bias to looking at that person's personality or disposition 
and they underestimate the social context, the, the social psychological forces on them. So in other words, we're walking around with the wrong map for understanding human beings. We like to think we're independent and we're rational. We're neither. We're emotional beings who rationalize, but we have senses and we're linked to our communities. And so for me, uh, I actually did a chapter in an Oxford University Press uh, textbook called Lone Actor Terrorism. And I had the one chapter in there talking about radicalization online by techniques of recruitment and indoctrination, um, where the other chapters are talking about the personality types and how can we know about that. And so in general terms, I think, I love what you said about instead of questioning the motives of the, of the shooters, let's question the motives of the politicians and the justices that are, that are enabling more violence and more murders to happen. But I'd also really want to suggest that people, there is a contagion effect. Uh, we are social beings and people do video games shooting and then killing over and over again virtually. And there's a certain fun to imagining shooting a lot of people up and watching endless amounts of TVs and movies and documentaries with gun violence. So it becomes a thing that gets incorporated unconsciously in people's psyches. And part again, part of what needs to happen is we need to start thinking about what needs to happen for us to be in a world where we feel safe and where we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper and, and everybody else's keeper, where we're preserving the environment and, and looking out for each other and our each other's children and our grandchildren. Forgive me for my my speech, but you got me going on that one. No, not at all. And I, and I do think that that's incredibly important. And certainly, you know, for us at, at uh, Global Action on Gun Violence, you know, one of our major messages is that the most fundamental right is the right to live. And that is recognized in every human rights instrument, including some that the United States is a party to. And that right is much greater, to put it mildly, than any right to guns. Yep. And that's not just rhetoric. I mean, it's a message that you know I've written about, and it has to be part of our constitutional analysis. I mean, yeah. the Supreme Court is uh, not really accepting that, which is pretty shocking. You know, yeah, doesn't the know, Constitution say life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Declaration of Independence before yeah. the Constitution. Oh, thank it was you. The first, it was the first mm -hmm. freedom announced by founders um, w w you know, when the United States was declared in, uh, independent. Uh, and there was... You know, the framers did not talk about a right to private guns. Mm -hmm. Even in the Second Amendment, they didn't talk about a right to private guns. They talked about uh, right to arms in the context of a well-regulated militia, which was a state army. It was right. all about civic responsibility. Right. So, you know, this idea of a a fundamental private right to have guns for 
quote-unquote self-defense, that is, when an individual decides it's necessary to shoot another person, that idea uh, was not the law in the United States until the Heller decision in 2008. Hmm. That was a radical change in U.S. law. It was a 5-4 vote, but it was, it was extraordinary. Um, and it's, as we've seen in the years that follow, you know, it was very dangerous. And I think, you know, most Americans, like everyone else around the world, would agree with that simple proposition that the right to human life, the right to live, is greater than a right to guns. And if that notion were yep. accepted by politicians and by the Supreme Court, there would be a big difference in the way our, our gun laws are, are enacted and the way they're interpreted. And that's a message that, that we at GV are working on in human rights tribunals um, to, to give them some force of law. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you've got a PR company, you've got a social media influence network, Please generate some creative animations, some some graphics, some some visuals to really highlight you have a right to live. We all have a right to live. And if I may add another thing, Jonathan, um, I did my doctoral dissertation uh, on updating the law regarding undue influence, and I have the influence continuum, my bite model of authoritarian control, and connected it to trafficking law, fraud, force, or coercion. And it's that analysis that can be applied to any organization, whether it's a nonprofit or, or not, whether it is supporting people and is doing this informed consent, is, is, is being having leadership that's accountable and transparent regarding funds and actions and behaviors having boards that are challenging the leader and not just following the authoritarian leader. But I, this is all a setup to tell you about uh, an attorney who, whose name is Faith Jones, uh, who was raised in a horrible cult called the Children of God, and who went on to develop a property rights theory for sexual abuse and other contract law and, and she did a TED Talk called I Own Me. And she starts with, I own my body. This is my body. <laughs> this is my, what I do with it is me, not owned by you. And I think that, that her theory and mine could really be creatively woven into supporting your, your litigation efforts because we do need to apply undue influence. And we do need to point fingers at groups that are undermining the public good, but are taking advantage of tax-exempt status because they say, oh, well, I'm a religion, so I can you know, have a gun cult like, like uh, Sean Moon, his rod of iron ministry. Please, how is that? Why should we support that with our tax money? Excuse me? I don't get that one. Yeah, I... I you know, I, I certainly agree. There are a lot of interesting uh, connections there. And, um, you, you know, a, a, and the, uh, the 
church, the so-called church that, that you mentioned, you know, well, that's a, you know, explicit sort of church or cult around the Air 15, you know, as we've talked about, you know, there is sort of this, this less official, uh, you know, cult around, around this gun. And that's, that has, you know, tremendous influence politically. And that, that is extremely dangerous to our, to our public discourse. And, and, you know, when you step out of the United States, um, you know, you realize how just shockingly weak our laws are. Um, you know, the, the, and even when, when we in the United States point to some jurisdictions like California or New York, New Jersey, Connecticut that have strong gun laws, we call them strong gun laws. Take those jurisdictions and put them anywhere else in the world. They would be the, some of the weakest gun laws out there. Right. Uh, no right. comparison. You know, the idea right. that, that, uh, Guns are not registered uh, the way cars are registered in the United States. That that gun owners right. do not have to get a license the way you need a license for your car, or you don't need to get insurance the way you get, have to get insurance for your car. Um, that's shocking to most people. You know the yep. idea that um, you know we're pushing for universal background checks for you. Um, because right now, under U.S. law, a private seller, that is me or you, is allowed to sell guns without any background check whatsoever, so long as we're not mm-hmm. engaged in the business. As long as we're, and that's actually very difficult to to uh, enforce and find out. But as a result, you know, someone can literally step out of prison, find a a classified ad on the internet. Um, which is easy to do, meet the buyer in a parking lot and buy one gun or a hundred guns, no questions asked, no background check whatsoever. That's completely legal in most states. I mean, that yeah. is just insane. Um, but that, insane. but that is, you know, the law. And then even the background checks that we that should be required for all gun sales, even those are extremely minimal compared to the rest of the world. Because right. you can have all sorts of you know, history of violence and dangerous threats and, and all sorts of things that would be very easy to find out if you did the sort of interview that if you checked someone like you would check them out if they were applying for a job and certainly if they're applying for a security clearance um you'd find out about some of this but we don't have anything like that with guns and as a result there you often find after mass shootings you know the shooter legally bought the gun and then you realize you know you, you see this you know everyone in the neighborhood knew what a dangerous person this guy was how did he legally buy the gun well because we don't prohibit those people we don't have any sort of licensing or permitting where law enforcement you know has an opportunity to go beyond whether the person is convicted felon but to see you know is this a a you know a violent person sort of person we do not want to entrust right. a gun with. right 
You know, as I'm thinking about your decision to go global because there are more normal (laughs) countries with more sensible approaches, it reminds me of my efforts to update the law. I got involved with an international organization, Jonathan, called the International Academy for Law and Mental Health. And they have meetings every two years and lawyers and psychiatrists, psychologists, and other social reformers present to each other, and it's recorded, and often publications come out of it. I've spoken now twice, once in Prague and once in Lyon. Next year is in Barcelona, and I'd like to encourage you or one of your people to do a presentation about your organization, get it on the map through this network. That sounds great. It's IALMH.org. And, um, you know, I can email you, and I, I've done a few blogs on my previous talks there in my efforts. Um, what else do we need to talk about? Just, uh, I love focusing on the politicians and the justices rather than the shooters. I love the emphasizing that we need to raise it as a priority for every citizen and not just for people who know someone who is a victim of gun violence. Oh, I wanted to ask you about Sandy Hook and Alex Jones and that decision because he admitted in his deposition he was psychotic or said something to that effect of when he push came to shove that it was totally, you know, a uh, psyop that he was doing. But what didn't he have to pay a billion dollars? And what's what's happening with that? Whole you know, thing? I, I don't so, have much to add on that. I mean, there's there's uh, yeah, I was not involved in 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 that case, um, and certainly mm-hmm. he was you know found liable, um, and I know that there were some. I believe some reported shenanigans about him avoiding paying. And I, to be honest with you, I just don't know what the next steps are. I, I will say that other things we can discuss is, is, um, you know, I've mentioned the gun industry a number of times and, and what the gun industry has been able to get away with because they're so unregulated. And I think that's something that, that people, you know, may not know about that, that in, the uh, United States, almost all crime guns are sold by a very small percentage of gun dealers. And ATF, over 20 years ago, uh, reported that about 5% of gun dealers sell about 90% of the crime guns. And at the same time, about 90% of the dealers sell no crime guns. So you have this universe where you've got most gun dealers, responsible business people, you know, vetting buyers the right way. If there's something that that looks bad, they don't uh, they don't do the sale um, because you know I'm sure I disagree with them on a lot of things, but they don't want to see their guns in, in criminal hands and they act responsibly. You've got this small percentage of bad apples that are that that are the real problem. And, you know, over the past 25 years or more, gun dealers, responsible gun dealers have spoken out and said to manufacturers, you shouldn't be supplying these bad dealers. One, you're, you're, you're 
arming criminals, and you're also tarnishing our brand. And, and, and manufacturers have refused. The U.S. government called on manufacturers over 20 years ago, stop supplying these bad dealers and put some standards in place about who sells your guns. They refused. Why? Because they want to profit off the criminal market. And what you see mm. is, and this is how guns are obtained by the cartels in Mexico, for example, um, where you've got gun traffickers go to gun stores, buy multiple uh, AR-15s, buy thousands of rounds of ammunition. It's, it's perfectly clear that they're a trafficker. They come back to the store a few weeks later, buy more AR-15s, more ammunition, perfectly clear. And dealers who willingly engage in these sales, you know, knowing full well that they're heading for criminal hands, if they're on the border, they know pretty well that those guns are going across the border to Mexico. And manufacturers could easily stop supplying those dealers, could say, if you're going to sell our guns, you can't do these multiple sales, repeat sales. They don't do it because they want you know a piece of the action as well, and mm. they can get away with that. And then there's other examples, and this you know you mentioned uh, car arms earlier. That yeah. Um, so we had a, a lawsuit that that I was involved in years ago, and uh, car arms in that case had just incredibly shoddy security, incredibly shoddy standards for who could work there. There was someone who was a crack addict who was employee at the, at the uh, manufacturing plant, and the security was so bad, he would take uh, guns that were unstamped, so they hadn't, didn't have a serial number yet, perfect guns for criminals, and he would take them home with him and sell them to get money for his crack addiction. And those guns, of course, ended up in the criminal market. And one of them was used to, to shoot and kill Danny Guzman uh, on uh, Christmas Eve. And uh, we had a lawsuit, which was ultimately successful against car arms, arguing that that was negligent. It was unreasonable. But there were no laws. And even to this day, in, in virtually every state, if not every state, there are no laws that would require car arms or another manufacturer to have standards, to have metal detectors, <laughs> to have, you know, you can't uh, have, you know, criminals working in your, your store. I mean, all sorts of, or, or you know, factory. Um, there's almost completely unregulated. And then beyond that, since that lawsuit, Congress enacted a special law, Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which gives the gun industry special protection from civil liability. So they can't even be sued the way uh, you know, other companies, other industries are. Um, so in, in many ways, the gun industry is the least regulated industry in America. They're the only industry that has special protection from litigation. They're the only industry that is exempt from federal product safety regulations. So the federal government can't require them to put in safety features. And these are standards that apply to BB guns and apply to teddy bears, but they don't apply to real guns, probably the most dangerous, you know, 
commercial industry uh, you know, to the public uh, in the United States. That's astounding. And when you say it the way you just said it, it just is so clear to me that the, the industry bought people off to promote legislation to protect themselves, to undermine any checks and balances that the law, the legal system might offer with civil litigation, for example. And you were just talking about car arms, K-A-H-R. That's Justin Moon. That's my former cult. And my recollection, Jonathan, was that happened when they were here in Massachusetts. And after the litigation, they moved to Pennsylvania because the laws were more favorable for them, or at least that was the impression I had. Yeah, that, that is right. They were in Massachusetts uh, at the time. And, uh, but, you know, the, the law, you know, has not changed. And again, you know, with any other industry, you know, if you had something like this, Congress would step in and say, okay, we're going to impose some standards. Um, and, you know, Congress did exactly the opposite after this. They enacted the special protection law, you know, to shield the uh, industry from some, you know, civil liability. Uh, so, it, yeah, it really is extraordinary. And, and you know, as we've been talking about it, I think there is this institutional corruption. It doesn't have to be yeah. uh, bribes. It can be, you know, the, the idea of, you know, the NRA is going to drive votes through the fear mongering, and there's going to be some uh, campaign contributions. All of this, quote unquote, legal, but having the, the yep. same effect um, the, yep. to corrupt the process by uh, leading these politicians to act in a way that's totally contrary to the interests. Their yeah, I'm glad you said that because that goes back to uh, the Supreme Court and and the permission of dark money to be introduced into uh, into elections. It's been such a horrible, horrible green light for bad actors, including uh, foreign governments, to give money through front groups here in the United States. It's it's absolutely so shocking and. I'll just say categorically, I wrote The Cult of Trump. Um, what it seems to me is there's a concerted effort with the same people over 40, 50 years to get rid of government regulations, to diminish a strong central government with strong safeguards and legislation, to create dissonance and chaos and overload, and... Um, greed over conscience and civic, you know, communal awareness. And that brings up another suggestion I have for my listeners. If you happen to be a child of one of these military, you know, gun, whatever uh, entities, start having conversations with your parents at the dinner table and not attacking and not, but asking questions aimed at trying to generate uh, another frame other than I need to report to my shareholders or I need to report to my board how much profits we have versus having a, a mindset where there's values in people who work for you as well as for the community. 
that you are part of. Yeah, you're certainly right. And, and you know, there is um, a lot of optimism around uh, the, the young people. I mean, you, you mentioned that the, uh, uh, the kids from Parkland and, and their others. And I think, you know, one thing that polls have shown for a few years now is is people, particularly younger people, are elevating the importance of the gun issue on our side. Um, they are recognizing that, you know, maybe the two biggest issues facing us are climate change for, for the long-term uh, health yep. and, and uh, gun violence for the shorter-term health. And, and, and so we are seeing that, and even uh, in litigation, we're seeing this kids climate change suit that's going on now in Montana. That's another uh, example of, of that sort of activism. And I think, you know, it seems like, and I hope this is true, that young people are not buying into the industry's big lie. And, and the gun industry's big lie is that guns will make you safer. I mean, that, that, that is the, the fundamental marketing strategy of the gun industry and it, and it is a lie it's been proven for for decades by many studies that if you bring a gun into your home it is much more likely to put you at risk and to result in a suicide or domestic abuse or unintentional shooting or it's stolen it is much more likely that a bad thing will happen often fatal than a good thing. And in fact, the use of a gun in self-defense is extremely rare. And yet it's marketed as uh, this, you know, necessary self-defense tool, which is to me is kind of like uh, if the tobacco industry were to market cigarettes saying, this is the cure for cancer, which I don't even think they did. At least, at least, yep. not, not in. Computers. They just lied, they about, lied about knowing what they, they knew. They lied about a lot. They did not say and right. and convince people, not just lie, but convince people. I mean, the the, the this big lie marketing has shifted public opinion. I mean, a few decades yeah. ago, most Americans thought the truth, which is that guns will create more risk, and now most Americans believe the opposite. So that big lie has worked. And that's another type of government inaction. Um, it was close to 30 years ago that uh, there was a petition uh, filed in the FTC, and then I was part of a more recent one filed before the FTC, saying, you know, the industry is lying, you should stop them. And that is the sort of thing that ordinarily government does. They haven't done it with guns. And, and because they didn't do it, you know, the big lie worked. But I do think that it seems like young people are not buying into that that big lie. And, and, and if that holds, that will lead to, to uh, much fewer people buying guns for self-defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I may add one other big lie from my perspective, and that is the notion that someone who isn't trained like a law enforcement professional or a veteran 
how to use a gun and shoot it accurately in a high stress situation, the likelihood is you're going to shoot innocent people. So the notion we're going to equip teachers and citizens are going to walk around with guns and they're going to prevent a shooting, the likelihood is, I think, that more innocent people are going to die. Am I wrong? 100%. And even beyond that, I mean, you say people who aren't trained. Well, it is extremely rare that an individual is going to be trained the way police are trained, right? Where they're, it's not just trained, That's in, what not I just trained in the use yeah. of guns, but the tr in high stress and, and that sort of area. But, of course, one, we've seen some of the you know, incidents of, of police misusing guns, sometimes intentionally, sometimes yeah. not. Um, and those are the most highly trained uh, people. So, you know, you, you've got that. And also, of course, police, when they're walking around the street, they're supposed to be anticipating fear or anticipating, you know, danger and crime. That's their job. You're never going to have a private citizen, a teacher or something else with that sort of, you know, engagement. And of course, initially police, they miss their target most of the time. Mm. <laughs> I mean, by pretty extraordinary numbers. And again, that and they are much more trained than than individuals. So yeah, the result is going to be, you know, much much worse. And and you know, we see examples of it. I just want to state, if you're sit if you're at a shooting range with a piece of paper, <laughs> and you're practicing, whether it's a handgun or whatever, it's not the same thing as being in a live shooting situation and i just think that's another lie that people are buying this because they're going to protect their loved ones in an active shooting situation i think it's a lie yeah. unless they spend weeks and months and years training and as you say walk around hyper vigilant like you know you're a police officer and then people don't want to be and then that there way. are problems with the hyper vigilance i mean I, I don't know if you've yeah. you've uh read of uh the studies some are called uh, the trigger pulls the finger phenomenon a and they go into the the sort of psychological effect of walking around with a gun and and one is that th they found that people who have a gun with them tend to see dangers that other people don't see now and they're not it's not That's that they have special abilities. It's the opposite. <laughs> it, it, That's so interesting. It, and, you know, so you, again, it, it, and then, you know, if you transport that to police, that, you know, certainly something it's, it appears that we see with some of these, you know, awful police encounters, you know, the, the unarmed you know, person. It's not, a, it's, it's not a, a, an exact analogy, but there are studies just having a cell phone on the table affects your psychology. If you, if it's, if even if it's off, but it's there, it affects your attention. And, and so when you were talking about just having a gun on you, it makes perfect sense to me that it's going to really influence your, you unconsciously. Yeah.
Oh, Jonathan Lowy, what a what an incredible um, specialization you've picked for yourself, or it picked you. Uh, as we're wrapping up in the last few minutes, um, what did we miss uh, that we want to hit, or what do we want to emphasize that you've already said for our listeners? Well, I mean, there, there's there certainly I could talk for hours on on uh, you know the, the gun issue, but you know, I, I, I think I, I would just leave people with the idea that, you know, you've got to stay involved or get involved. Um, and I can suggest you go to our website, actiononguns.org. There are many other groups doing uh, very good things domestically in the U.S. And, and in other countries as well. And we work with them as well. But, but um you know, I, I would certainly invite you to do that. There's a way to contact us through uh, email as well to, to interact because, uh, you know, again, we know there are people who are, you know, effectively worshiping the AR-15. We know there are people who, instead of the American flag, they put the uh, lapel pin with the AR-15 and people who gather with their family around the uh, Christmas tree, um, you oh. know, all of them uh you know, holding their, their sacred AR-15s. There are those people. Uh, there needs to be people on the other side who are worshiping their children and their families and other people's children and other people's families to that degree and more. And I think there are many more of those people than there are the AR-15 people. In fact, I believe many of the AR-15 people can be turned to recognize that it's sure. their their children and others' children that are more important than their AR-15s, and, and and so, but to do that, we all need to to get involved, to spread these these basic messages, and then get involved in some of these policy uh, issues and others. And and um, you know, I'm hopeful. Um, actually, I'm particularly hopeful working on this international approach that we at GAGV do, um, that this will you know, bring the world together in a way which will change yeah. uh, U.S. policy and U.S. gun industry in a way that will make us all uh, more safe. It's awesome. It's great. I'm so, I'm so grateful to you. And as you were just uh, summing up, I remember Jason Kander, who... Um, uh, I was on his podcast. He was on mine. He was a captain in Afghanistan, and he blindfolded, assembled a rifle, <laughs> and then he, he did it was a short viral video, but it was so effective. And I think the another idea is for veterans who know how to use these assault rifles to be speaking louder uh, and saying, "We know what it's like." to be in situations using this and, and, and people getting hurt and dying. And we don't want this for our children and our grandchildren. This is not okay. I agree. And I, and I found people who served in the military, um, not that they're all the same views, but I've talked to many of them who say, you know, I carried a weapon like an assault weapon, a fully automatic version. I know what it's good for. I know, you know, what I was trained to use it. 
uh, to do, and that has no place in civilian society. Uh, they get it much better than the people who are playing out these fantasies, yeah. maybe based on their video games or, 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 or whatever other messages they're getting from the industry. So if you're in the media listening to this, I ask you to invite Jonathan Lowy to on your your shows, do interviews. I'm sure you have other people that you can recommend if you're busy to do a particular show or interview. And maybe Jason Kander will allow you to put this video up on your site to remind people. It was so incredibly powerful and wonderful. I think he's great. Um, Thank you so much, and I, I hope, um, I wish you continued success, and I hope we stay in touch. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books. Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.